Welcome into episode 42 of the Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton, Jer- Jeremy Law, and Lester Mitchell here with you tonight. Uh, boys, week two of the college football season is in the books. Looking back, you know, some of the bigger stories, not including Alabama and Auburn, of course, Alabama with the 48 to 14 victory over Mercer at home, Auburn with a 62 to nothing ass whooping of Alabama State at home. Uh, second inferior team they played in a row. They've had a, they've got a uh, tough matchup this weekend in Happy Valley. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, uh, you know, some, just some big topics from, from around the country. Um, guys, we're going to start with the big game of the day. Oregon beats Ohio State, um, dominated them on both sides of the line of scrimmage, basically the whole game. And, uh, you know, my first question to y'all, Lester, we'll start with you, is is Ohio State in trouble as far as, you know, the college football playoff goes? I know we're a long way from the playoff, but, you know, of course, every year, everybody likes to get their predictions. Oh, it's Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, their locks. Um, I don't see anybody competing with them. Then all of a sudden, you know, Ohio State drops one early. It is a non-conference game, so they have a chance to run the table in the Big Ten and uh, and, and win the Big Ten and get in the playoff, of course. But uh, do you think that OSU is is in some trouble with, you know, the way their defense just can't stop the run? Do you think they'll they'll clean up in the Big Ten, or do you think they have to be looking over their shoulders? Um, regardless of – you know, if they run the table or not, they have the one demerit on their record, and that's already a loss. Point bank period. They can go be the best team in college football for the rest of the year. They have that loss on the record. And if someone like Oregon, you know, takes away with the Pac-12 or whatever they call themselves now, they're going to get in, rightfully so, because they have that win over, you know, number five, six, whatever Ohio State is going to be at the end of the season. They have that win. I don't see Ohio State, you know, already with one loss. Who knows who they may goof it up to again later on in the season. Um, they they already have that one demerit. They're they're out, in my opinion. I had them going to the playoff. Yeah. But as far as right here, right now, they're out because, you know, Oregon don't play anybody. You know, Cristobal got those guys looking pretty good. So, hey, they can just as easily replace the Ohio State spot in the playoff. Well, as far as, a, you know, a playoff committee goes, and I think this is this will happen eventually – um, you know, maybe it might have to do with a with a twelve team playoff scenario, but it's going to happen to where, you know, Oregon beats Ohio State straight up. Say Oregon runs the table twelve and zero. They're playing in the Pac twelve championship. Say UCLA um, drops a couple of games and they play them and beat Oregon in the Pac twelve championship. So you've got both teams are twelve and one, right? I'm talking about Oregon and Ohio State. Uh, Oregon's loss is fresh on everybody's mind, and um, and then, you know, say Ohio State has been been beating people to sleep. You know, do you go back – do you refer back to an early September game in week two and be like, look, these two have already played. Oregon beat them head up. Or do you be like, well, Ohio State's playing better right now because that game was, whatever, 11 weeks ago. Who do you go with? Right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that they'll probably put Ohio State in, um, number one, because – the money, Ohio State, you know, their fans are going to travel. You know, they're going to buy the tickets. I don't know. Oregon, they have a lot of money, too. They may be hungry for it. But, you know, I, I think the committee would put Ohio State in. I don't think Ohio State's out, guys. They are going to have a chance to be potentially Penn State, uh, Wisconsin, their Iowa. I mean, they're going to have a chance, some chance to log some wins while there's another conference champion, Clemson, we already know is going to win the ACC. They're not going to beat anybody for the rest of the year. So, I mean, if even if Ohio State lost right now and Clemson ran the table and won 11 in a row, at the end of the year, Ohio State's going to have wins. And Clemson's not. They played one really good team. They lost to them, and it's over. Ohio State has a chance for three or four more ranked wins before, I mean, with their season and the conference title game. And then you could, I mean, the ACC could be the one that's left out of here. So Alabama, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Oregon, and Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State's out at all because they have a chance with, to get wins, and Clemson doesn't. J-Law, stay with you here, man. The other big game, uh, at least for SEC fans, you know, is this Texas ass open. They took at the hands of Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks on Saturday. Man, if you're a fan of Texas – you know, they got a prideful fan base. They talk a lot of shit out there in Austin. And they think that they're better than everybody. They think they're the most elite program in the country because of the 
the burn orange and white and the Texas logo and the eyes of Texas are upon you. Everything's bigger in Texas. All those little dumbass sayings they have. Man, they come over here and play probably the fourth best team in the SEC West. Not the SEC, the SEC West. The fourth best team in the SEC West rolls up and, and just gives you the ass beating of a lifetime. So as a Texas fan, are you kind of, uh, you know, regretting that decision to come into the SEC? I don't know if they're regretting the decision, but, man, like, Arkansas, listen, not, we all yeah, know Not looking North. forward to it. Not looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, you're not right. Good, I, I, I think real, real, some realism is, is checking in here for Texas because Arkansas, we all know, much improved. They're going to be better than they were last year. I really like Sam Pittman. I think he's like the Arkansas guy. I think he could – he's the guy that they probably need coaching them. But they're not beat your ass by 30 points good. They're not beat Texas by 30 points. And I think more, more, I think Steve Sarkeesian might be scratching his head a little bit knowing that, all right, I'm the head coach at Texas. I have the worst boosters and fan bases. I have the highest expectations in college football on my shoulders while I haven't won anything. And I think that's one of the things Nick Saban thought about in 2013 when Texas offered him. And I, he really did think about leaving was, man, I got it made in Tuscaloosa. I've won three natties in the last four or five years. I, while our expectations are high, and this is a, I mean, it's a high pressure job. Like they really can't fire you unless it just completely melts down. These Sarkeesians at Texas, he's got expectations all over him. He hasn't won anything. He's got the worst boosters. He's got the worst fan base, probably from an expectation standpoint. And he's about to go into the league and face teams better than Arkansas each and every week that are recruiting as good, if not better, than what he's still going to be able to do at Texas. Dude, their ass is going to be eight and four, nine and three at best every single year. Uh, it's going to be a rude awakening for Texas. I'm telling you, their roster on paper should be better than Arkansas, and Arkansas just whipped their ass for four quarters, just whipped their ass. Like, I don't know, man. I, Oklahoma, I think they're going to be okay. I think they can find a way offensively with Lincoln Riley. But it, even with Sark, I mean, I think they're already second-guessing Howard Sark, and Sark might be second-guessing, like, oh, shit, I'm about to be in this league with Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, <laughs> Texas A&M. I mean, dude, I, I, yeah. you, could count, you can count four losses every single year. And the dude, you know, the, the guy has done – he did nothing at Washington. He did nothing at USC except for drink liquor and, and be drunk at booster meetings and all that stuff. And then, you know, he goes to the Falcons, wasn't great. And then all of a sudden he goes back to Alabama – and he's got the greatest offensive roster ever assembled in the history of college football. Right. And he's got ever. like six first rounders, and he just goes goes ham on and just you know everybody's oh the play con the play con. It's your damn players. Like I, I'm sorry, you can have the best play call in the world dialed up, but if the guys can't execute it, it doesn't matter. And uh, sure, he had some good schemes last year, and I think it helped. Sure. But I'm not so sure a drunk monkey couldn't have called plays with all that talent last year. And so he goes over to Texas, you know, he gets this big deal, and uh, they're expecting that same kind of production. You're just not going to get it because the players aren't there. You don't have good players at Texas. And, uh, and you know, maybe he can recruit some in there. I, I do not know. You know, the jury's still out on, on his recruiting. But, uh, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, they might be – you know, not really regretting uh, hiring Sart, but certainly there's some there's some question marks being raised. Who is it? Yeah. It was uh, <laughs> it was Steve Sarkeesian said that if you're going to lose, losing the SEC because they can just cast those checks. Hey, it is what it is. They're in it now. <laughs> that snake's got a hold to them, and they ain't getting loose. Now, listen, if he put three years of that together this year, and they might be in the SEC next year. I know people are saying 2024, 2025. I think they might play in this league next year. If he puts three of these years together playing SEC talent, dude, his asses, he ain't going to be at Texas very long. He, he's the second-best program in the Big 12, and they've barely been winning there. Just wait till he comes into this league. It's going to be tough. It's, it's, it's so funny because I'm looking at it right now. Arkansas ran for 333 yards. <laughs> that sounds miserable. Dude, there's nothing worse. Yes. They they didn't get beat. That was even Nick Saban's first year. I know they lost to La Monroe, but, dude, they never just got the scoreboard sideways on them. Dude, there's nothing worse than a team running up and down the field on your butt at will. 
mean, you see and there's this, nothing you can do to stop it. It's you, awful. You see this in the SEC all the time when they go play these Pac-12 teams, unless you're LSU, of course. Uh, you know, but most of the time you see these these SEC schools, and you obviously it doesn't even have to be top tier. It can be a mid tier SEC program like Arkansas is that just dominates the game in the trenches. They're just built differently up there. And that's where all the focus goes in and recruiting is the trenches. You've got to be good up front on both sides of the ball. And it just, it, it showed in this game. But um, speaking of being dominant up front and both sides of the ball, Alabama was not this weekend. Uh, they, they had some offensive line struggles. Nick Saban, you know, blamed it on some movements that Mercer – uh, was doing up front that they weren't prepared for. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell have you been doing all summer in camp? Have you not shown them just about every look you can think of? But, um, you know, Lester, this Bama game, uh, whether it's receivers not getting open, offensive line protection issues, um, not getting the push up front, does this, you know, coming out sloppy, playing good defense, but has some busted coverages late once the second teamers got in the game, Lester, do you write this Bama game off heading into the swamp next Saturday? And do you think maybe they, it was a it was a look ahead game, and maybe the the uh, preparation wasn't there? Um, or do you have legit concerns heading into the swamp? Um, I don't know. It's Mercer. I, I number one. Well, Saban was already on ten all week, and still practice sucked and everything. Um, put that aside. It's Mercer. Like, Alabama did not look sharp. They didn't look crisp. They didn't execute mental errors. This is all the stuff that Saban talks about all the freaking time that will get your butt beat. It was Mercer. Mercer. And we couldn't protect. Guys couldn't get open. I don't care if you don't want to play this team. I don't care if you don't want to get cut block of defense. It don't matter. It's Mercer. This is a team that you should dominate, a team that should ha- has no business being on the same field as you. This is a pay game. They got paid a million dollars, whatever it is, to come here, get their butts kicked, and it didn't feel like Bama kicked some tail on Saturday. It didn't, and it should have. Slop all over the board. Bryce was 19 of 27 for 227 yards. A QBR of 35.4, that's not good. It's not. And it's, quite frankly, it's unacceptable. This shouldn't happen. But it did. And I think, you know, kind of had your ear to the ground. You probably expected something like this. You know, Sable's pissed about you know, practice stuff all week. And, you know, of course, guys start getting nicked. Uh, you know, Will Anderson and, you know, a couple other guys. Then, you know, it's just a solemn mood about the whole game. But I'm I'm glad it's over. Everything that went wrong is is fixable. I hope, especially some of the O line issues. Um, hopefully, wide receivers can get open against a SC opponent in Florida. Maybe, maybe not. We'll just have to see. But this was not the type of performance I would enjoy to see before going on a road in a hostile environment against the top ten team um, in the swamp. It just wasn't. Well, who do you think that uh, – what what do you, what, can, what Alabama do you think you're going to see Saturday? Are you going to get week one Miami or are you going to get week two Mercer? That's, that's what I'm asking is if you think that – I mean, do you think there was a lack of prep? Um, and, and I get that it's Mercer and it doesn't matter how much you prepped um, or how shitty you practice that you should be able to line up and just run the ball against a team like this. And I agree with you 100%. Um, but what I'm saying is do you think that, you know, there was some, there was some smoke week one? Uh, do you think maybe right. – I mean, obviously Miami's not as good as everybody thinking. All you heard all summer was Derek King, Derek King, all that stuff. They almost got beat by App State in their home opener this past weekend. They won by two <laughs> points. Right. And so, obviously, they're not a good program. And uh, and so, do you, do you think that with Miami being overrated, that maybe Alabama's a touch overrated as well? I don't think they're overrated, but I think that there are glaring issues that need to be addressed, starting with the offensive line. Um, pre in previous in the past, you know, the offensive line was it was dominant. Like they the offensive line could control a game. And going on the road in this hospital environment, I'm not so sure that this offensive line can control the game and give me Lester personally that comfort of okay, I know that this group is going to be solid. They're going to open up the running lanes. They're going to give, you know, the quarterback time to pass, time to find those guys to get open. 
I'm not so sure in that group, first and foremost, the foundation of the team in the trenches to provide that because we, we just haven't seen it yet, you know. So I'm not sure what we're going to see Saturday, but it may be a tougher game than people are um, willing to admit. J-Law, do you think that, you know, ask you the same question, you know, troubles up front, whatever, are you more concerned than maybe you should be, or are you just kind of writing this game off as an OL game? Uh, you're not worried about – you're not worried about it all going going into Saturday. If Alabama beats Florida like everybody expected them to do before the season, then you'll forget about the Mercer game. But if you see the same issues, you'll be looking at that Mercer game and saying, well, yeah, we, we kind of can see that coming. And the Miami game kind of troubled me a little bit. I'm – flipped over the TV late at night, like 9.30, and Miami's kicking a field goal to beat Appalachian State at home. So, I don't know, man. I, I just think that – I don't think that the team's overrated, especially from a defensive standpoint. They have the receivers. There's – a lot of us thought that there wouldn't be a problem at receiver. Obviously, there would be a drop-off. I think that drop-off is way bigger than what we thought or what anybody else expected. John Mechie is not – Devontae Smith, he's not Jalen Waddle, he's not Henry Ruggs, he's not Jerry Judy, he's not a first round wide receiver. So we're gonna Alabama's gonna have to give Bryson time to to make to make it through his progressions. The offensive line is struggling. They're gonna have to step it up. I'm not sure they can control it. I've been scratching my head trying to figure out where Tommy Brockermeyer or JC Latham have been at right tackle because that's been the recipe for Alabama for the last decade. That you're gonna have a true freshman almost right tackle. And you're going to slide the guys last year's right tackle to left tackle. So Alabama's putting a guy who doesn't play tackle. He's not a tackle at tackle and he's struggling and he's getting beat. They tried out Damian George. He's getting beat. Kendall Randolph, obviously either not the guy or not healthy enough to play a full game at right tackle. So, I mean, what do you do? But we have those questions. They need to get it figured out. You have an NFL head coach as your offensive line coach, Doug Marone, get it together and figure it out. You have Evan Neal. You have a guy that started a national championship game last year and a guy I think Echiors started at guard for two years going into this year. I mean, you have starts piled up and tons of experience along the offensive line. You got to get it figured out. And I'm not sure if the receivers aren't getting open, Bryce isn't pulling the trigger, or it's all offensive line. But when Saban comes out after the game and tells you the O-line's not blocking, but Jordan Rogers is telling you that Bryce has plenty of time to make it through four or five progressions, you're getting mixed signals as an Alabama fan. I'm a little worried, um, but I think they also came out flat. It was ugly. They didn't care. It, Rhett Lester's 100% right. This had that feeling like the whole game, you're just waiting on somebody to get hurt. You could tell that the team wasn't in it. And then I was talking on the phone to a buddy Friday night after the Sulacaga game, and he called me and asked about the game. I was like, dude, this is one of those games where a Chris Allen or Will Anderson or an outside linebacker gets freaking hurt. And there it was in the middle of third quarter. So good news is Will Anderson hurt. Bad news is you got to get your crap together because Florida, dude, they're giving this everything they got. We're the reason they're potentially not in the college football playoff last year. And they want to beat you at their place. You got to get it going. Yeah, uh, talking more on Will Anderson, he goes down with a knee injury. Cut block, legal or not, doesn't matter. This is an offense that has that in their blocking scheme. You got to know, you got to expect it. Um and, you know, I, I hate playing these teams more than anybody else. Uh, you know, I, I just – I disagree with it. I, I don't care that uh, they were running a different offense whenever we scheduled them. I heard that excuse, blah, blah, blah. I want to play 12 Power 5 teams. Um, I've been in favor of that for, you know, five, six years now. I think it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Um, so, anyway uh, – but, yeah, Will Anderson takes one on the knee, gets rolled up, goes to the tent, then goes to the locker room, held out. Nick Saban said that he's encouraging, whatever that means. He said that he was held out of practice uh, today on Monday, and uh, we'll see how he's like. They said he's day-to-day. Um, so I would expect him to at least try to go. Uh, he might not be at 100%, but, you know, if you can get through this one, uh, without hurting it any worse, you got an off week basically for him in Southern Miss. He he doesn't need to play in that game at all, and uh, and then you got to go or you got Ole Miss at home, and um, and so it, it doesn't. This is the toughest stretch for Alabama. Um, you know you had to play Miami week one, and then you got a cupcake, and then you got to go to the swamp. You got another cupcake, then you got Ole Miss and Texas A and M back to back, one at home, one on the road. Uh, I know Texas A and M lost their starting quarterback, but still it's a tough place to play. 
Um, that and and everybody's going to be up for Alabama. They're they're going to you're going to get their best shot. But uh, you know, Lester, this Will Anderson injury. You saw Chris Braswell come in. You saw Dallas Turner come in. Um, and, and we know you're not going to get the same type of pass rusher Will Anderson. He's best pass rusher in the country. Um, I think uh, Kubrick was talking today about how he has like 34 and a half inch arms or something, which is the equivalent of like a left tackle in the NFL. It's just ridiculous the way he's built and the speed that he has. Um, you've heard Matt Ray talk or tweet about that. Um, but Lester, how significant is this Will Anderson injury? And if he can't go, what does that do for this Alabama defense? And what does it mean for him in the swamp? I, I think that, it, it, it's significant in ways. Um, it's, it's great that we have depth that is good behind him. Now, Will Anderson does things on the football field that no one else can do, 100%. If he's not out there, that's, that's game-changing. But the guys behind him are not inept. They are damn good also. And that's important. Now, if Will if, like so on a on a on a, a regular play, a regular drop back, Will Anderson may get back there and he may get that set on that play. But if he's out, maybe the guys that are behind him, Dallas Turner or Drew Sanders, maybe they put pressure on the quarterback, get him off his spot. Now the quarterback throws a bad pass and it's an interception to the guys on the back end. It if he's not there, it changes the game a little bit, but it's not a drop-off. Maybe things happen in different ways. Maybe instead of a little Anderson strip sack, it's, you know, a bad throw and a pick on the back end, or it's a bad incompletion on a, you know, on a bad play or maybe instead of a five-yard loss, it's a loss um, at the line of scrimmage. It's, it's the drop-off, but it's not entirely a complete loss, if, if that makes sense. That's the best way I can put it. Lester, how crazy is it? And J Law, whoever wants to answer, you've got Will Anderson goes out, Chris Allen goes out. Phil still had him as the number one and number two outside linebackers in the country this year, not in the SEC, in the country. And they replaced them with Chris Braswell, who came into high school. This is overall rankings as the 19th overall ranked player, Drew Sanders, who was the 22nd overall ranked player, and Dallas Turner. Who's the number nine, the number nine overall ranked player? The depth that Nick Saban has compiled at that outside linebacker position is all world. And so, yeah, like Lester's saying, there is going to be a drop off because I mean they got starting for a reason, and they're not splitting time. I mean, Will Anderson led the SEC in sacks, the true freshman, for God's sakes. But I mean, you got to have some kind of confidence in that depth, right? Yeah, listen, I, I think that, I mean, Will Anderson is obviously playing for a reason. I think Nick Saban started recruiting that outside linebacker pass rusher um, because of, what was that, 2017 when Alabama went into Auburn and they had Miller out, Terrell Lewis out, and they had nobody to rush the passer. And, you know, you can, you can get away with average defensive backs if you have pressure. I don't really think you can get away with great DBs if a quarterback has – four seconds to sit back there and pick you apart. I mean, we, until Christian Miller, I mean, Alabama went on a five or six year run where they didn't really have a pass rush. And so from Miller to Lewis and those guys being out, you just saw how that impacted the game. So Nick Saban stockpiles with Anderson, Sanders, Braswell, Chris Allen, and Dallas Turner. I mean, that's, that's five dogs right there. So, I mean, everybody's obviously recruited better in the country, but Man, when, when Will Anderson got banged up and he went off and I, they showed the replay of the hit, I'm sitting there thinking, dude, this is 2017 and 2019 all over again. Alabama's about to go through the whole freaking year with the whole season without, their, without any pass rush. Their two best players probably on defense from a production standpoint are about to be out. And then now you're literally just one more injury away from any linebacker, whether it's Toto, Harris, from being absolutely screwed for the rest of the year. So thank God Will Anderson's okay. Man, if he can, I'm not sure he'll go this week. He might get two weeks off. I have faith in Braswell and Dallas Turner, especially if Dallas Turner's just, hey, man, go get the quarterback. But if Will Anderson can go and they feel healthy, they feel good about his health going into this game, man, that's 
that's big because there's a chance that they're playing, he's playing a freshman quarterback, and there's nobody that's going to mess up a freshman quarterback more than Will Anderson. Yeah, that was actually the next question I had written down here. Um, who do you think Dan Mullen deploys in this game? Do you think he goes with Emory Jones, or do you think he pulls the trigger on Anthony Richardson? Anthony Richardson has showed promise. Um, so, I mean, J-Law, if it was you, uh, I know you've seen clips of both the guys. Who, who do you who do you go with? You're at home, so you don't have to force the guys to play on the road in a hostile environment. You are the hostile environment. You're hosting. Um, but we know how nasty this Alabama defense is. Will Anderson or not, it's still going to be probably the best defense in the country. I wouldn't put Georgia above them or Clemson. I would put Alabama number one, even without Will Anderson, as the best defense in the country. Um so, which quarterback do you go with if you're Dan Mullen? Both these guys are big. Both these guys are fast. Both these guys are strong. That, that doesn't necessarily mean you're beating Alabama. You got to be able to throw the football. They, the Emory Jones highlights aren't great from a throwing the football standpoint. I think they're going to try. I think they're going to give Emory Jones his first two drives or so if. Alabama still has no points, but if he goes out there and burns a three and out and Alabama marches down the field for 75 yards and a tutty, you're going to see Anthony Richardson. It kind of looks like Cam Newton, man. He's 230 pounds, 6'4", 6'5", has a big arm. He can run, and I think they're going to need every bit of that. I mean, he's a, he's a Dak Prescottish type of kid, man. He can run, throw the type of quarterback that Dan Mullen is one with when he is one, and last year was kind of an anomaly with Kyle Trask because that's not the style of QB that Dan Mullen traditionally had. And, I mean, I'm looking at his profile right now, you know, as a prospect. Here's a top 10 dual threat quarterback just outside of the top 200 overall. Is that going to be enough? I don't know, but I think it's a way better option for Dan Mullen rolling Emory Jones. You know, is it, maybe you guys agree with this. You know what's going to happen if you roll Emory Jones out there. You know. At least go with the unknown. Yeah, you don't have a lot of film on them. I wouldn't be surprised to see both of them for a while, then maybe one – or not one takeover, but uh, maybe Dan Mullen just go with whoever he thinks is is executing the best of their ability. Um, Lester, I, I don't know if you've – I don't know if you know this stat, but I heard this on um, on Cube and Mac today, Mac and Cube, you know, the radio station this morning with Greg McElroy and, uh, and Cole Kublik. Um, or it might have been three-man front, I apologize, but uh, – Florida's played Florida Atlantic and South Florida so far this season. Um, both their quarterbacks have performed decent. Uh, Anthony Richardson's run the ball a lot better. I think he's got – he's leading the team in rushing. He's got like 275 yards as a backup quarterback in two games. Um, but, you know, out of 130 FBS teams, Florida Atlantic's defense ranks 125 and South Florida ranks 130th in total defense. And I know it's only two games in – but those, these defenses suck ass, and what he's about to face is completely different <laughs> than what they faced so far. So, as an Alabama fan, does that make you feel a little bit better about the Florida offense, even though they have these two dual threat guys that you know maybe they're you know the competition they played could hurt them in this game? It does. It does. It does make me feel really, really well when, you know, Will Anderson is, you know, might play. And one the one guy that thinking about playing is a true freshman quarterback. Um, this is going to be the fastest thing that either of those two quarterbacks probably will see all year. The fastest, most complicated, most well-prepared defense that these guys will see. Um, I definitely, for whoever starts, if both of them start or if, if both play or play a lot or split time 50-50, I look for both of them to have turnovers in this game, whether it's picks, whether it's fumbles, um, especially especially if the offense can jump on them early, you know, get a quick score, force them to throw the ball more than maybe they're hoping not to. Um, it's, it's, it's I feel like it's really, really important. The defense is going to do their job. But to further pick up the defense, to further help the defense out, the offense has got to hop on them early, got to control the game, got to control the tempo, and, you know, put some pressure on the Florida offense. Give me a score prediction, Lester. How, how, do, you, how do you see this one playing out in the swamp? Ooh, I'll go 
38-20. I think 20 is too much, but actually, no, I'll Man. go – I'll go 30, 30, 34, 34, 17, 34, 17. That's a good score. And, you know, right now the, the line on this game is 15 and a half. That would be a 17-point victory, Alabama covering. Um, I, You know, I like 38 for some reason. Um, I, I called the Miami game to be 38 to 21. I like 38 um, just because, you know, I, mean, I remember J-Law texting us during the game, it's like, dude, it's like during the Mercer game, it's like, it's like Bill O'Brien is running plays right into the Mercer defense. And I'm like, well, maybe that's by design. You know, very vanilla on offense. You don't want to show anything. Um, I think that Alabama starts slow. And in this one, I don't expect them to come out and score in the first three possessions. I think they start slow, make good halftime adjustments. And I just think that the ineptness of the Florida quarterbacks in the passing game is going to be their downfall. You, you, Everybody talks about dual threat quarterbacks for Saban's kryptonite, dual threat quarterbacks, dual threat quarterbacks. Well, those dual threat quarterbacks can put the ball on a dime downfield, or at least they could that day against Alabama. Um, even Chad Kelly, if you want to call him dual threat. Uh, Bo Wallace, you can call him dual threat or whatever. He wasn't necessarily that mobile. But Johnny Manziel, one of the best college passers ever to play in the SEC, um, he can put the ball on a dime from anywhere on the field, um, on the run, from the pocket, whatever. Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson cannot do that. And uh, they, they can really beat you with their legs. But, you know, it's like I was saying, whenever Ole Miss played Louisville week one, or week zero, I guess. When, no, it was week one on the, uh, on the Monday night. Um, you know, everybody was talking about that Ole Miss defense looks great. It's, it's improved. They're flying around. Well, when you don't have to cover past 10 yards down the line, you know, past the line of scrimmage, it makes it a lot easier to play defense. You're not you're not playing 53 by 53. You don't have to cover 53 yards wide and 53 yards deep. That makes playing defense a hell of a lot harder. It's a lot easier when you can play at 50 yards by 10 yards with 11 guys and uh, basically just run sideline to sideline. I think that's what Florida is going to try to do. I don't I don't see them posing a threat to Alabama running or throwing the ball downfield. And um, I think Drew Sanders and Chris Braswell, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, whoever it is on the opposite side of Drew Sanders, I think they're good enough to keep the quarterback in the pocket, make him beat you from the pocket. And then whenever he tries to run at field, you know, interior D linemen come off their blocks and then you've got linebackers right there. Pete Golding's running, running a lot more zone. He runs a lot of man on the outside. He likes to run zone in the interior of his defensive scheme, especially with his linebackers. I wouldn't be surprised to see a Dallas Turner or Drew Sanders maybe spy the quarterback and they're fast enough to stay with him. So uh, I, I look for this game to be 38-17, and, and I know that's a big number on the road, but, uh, you know, Vegas lights it by over two touchdowns. I like it by three touchdowns. I think that uh, – I think you can watch the Mercer game. I don't think you're going to have the same type preparation this week. I think the focus will be a lot better. The intensity of practice will be a lot better because, you know, like I told you all, coming out, out, of, out of Brian Denny Stadium on Saturday, I said if you could – Tell Nick Saban to write a script out of the game that he wants to play before going into the swamp next Saturday. That's exactly what he would have written up besides Will Anderson getting hurt. You know, kickoffs out of bounds, missed field goals, stupid penalties, um, personal foul penalties, unsportsmanlike conducts, can't run the ball, uh, can't protect, drop passes, uh, busted coverages. This is exactly what he wants. He's got so much fuel to use this week, and he's going to use every single bit of it because he, he's got, you know, he'd be like, hey, look, you do this this week, you're going to get your ass beat. And I guarantee you he's saying that multiple times a day. And, uh, and, and so I think Alabama comes out with a new focus. And, yeah, it'll be, it'll be tough to get to adjust to the crowd noise, but I look for Bryce Young's poise to really come about, and I look for the offense to settle down. I look for Bama to pull away late, 38-17. J-Law, what you got in this one? I got 34-13. I like it by three touchdowns. I, I, I just don't see this Florida offense moving the ball up and down the field. I think they – it's not like last year against Florida, dude, they could sustain drives. How many plays is this Florida offense going to be able to put together in a sequence to put multiple touchdown scoring drives together? They might hit a big play. They might hit one or two. How many times are they going to be able to put enough plays together against this Alabama defense? There's some teams down the road that can do it. Ole Miss, Bo Nix is impressing me. Um, there's some teams that can probably do it against Alabama. I don't see this Florida Gator team doing it. I also like our – I mean, I, just, I, like, I like our offense versus their defense. 
They're only giving up 17 a game right now. They're playing some horrible opponents, um, and they're not facing Bryce Young. So give me 34-13. And I think the key for Alabama is even if Will Anderson doesn't play, I mean, you you can't – it's so hard to even – you can't double-team Will Anderson because you're still dealing with Dale Mathis. How about Byron Young having a massive day against Mercer? I mean, he blew up three or four plays on his own, like – you can't just focus on the Alabama outside linebackers and say, well, if we take care of those guys, there's not going to be any push um, from from the, one of the linemen. I mean, they're they're taking care of their business as well. So even if Will Anderson can't go, I think there's going to be plenty of pressure on the quarterback. I think Alabama's got three or four really good, solid defensive linemen in, in Mathis, in D.J. Dale, and in Byron Young, and even Justin and Boyd, if it comes down to it, to contain the quarterback. 34-13. Flying on up to Happy Valley, Penn State hosting Auburn, 106,572 people in attendance. The ever so popular whiteout game that happens in Happy Valley has not happened since 2019. Saw a video today, man. It's so freaking electric up there. Like whenever Michigan comes out for the first play of the game, and they get a delay game because they can't hear the quarterback. And, you know, you have to go with a silent count. And you can't talk to anybody. You can't hear yourself think. One of the one of the most crazy or one of the craziest atmospheres in college football is the whiteout game in Happy Valley. Auburn going up, Penn State around a six, six, six and a half point favorite right now. I look for that line to be around four by kickoff. I'd be surprised if it was anything higher than that. But whiteout game, Bo Nix. Has had some road struggles, you know, to say the least, to be nice about it, uh, through, through his first two years. Lester, who wins this game and why? I don't even know who you're going to say, but who wins this game and why? Tell the people. Uh, I just think that um, for sure Penn State's going to win because no, I don't think that Bo, Bo Nix is the quarterback that's going to lead them to a victory in that hostile environment on the road. Um, in, 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 a, in an environment like that, on the road, hostile environment, who do you look for for poise to lead your team? That's the quarterback. Thanks. And I'm not so sure yeah, if that's how you want to construct your team. That's apparently how the team's constructed. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you want your quarterback, the guy who's touching the ball every single play, the guy who you are counting on to – you know, Tank can't convert that third and four, you know, that passing play that you need. I mean, I guess you could, but that's supposed to be your, your quarterback to do that. I mean, good luck to Bo and Auburn in that inept offense. I just don't see if, if Penn State gets up on Auburn and forces Auburn to throw the football, I think that's the nail in the coffin right Bingo. there. Bingo. Because – if, if they can hop them early, that's that's ball game. If they can hop them early and keep turnovers down and control the clock, that's ball game because I don't trust Bo Nix to, you know, handle the ball well, you know, lead that team to victory. I heard he handles balls real well. Yeah, probably, you know, used to changing diapers and stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Man, look, yeah, uh, Bo Nix – Hasn't been good on the road, like I stated earlier. You've got a lot of inexperience at receiver for Auburn. Um, even Tank has not played in a stadium on the road with more than whatever, 20, 25,000 people, whatever the case is, the 20% capacity last year during COVID. So even him, you know, as, as many carries as he had while he's been on the planes, he still hasn't played in a in a in an atmosphere like this. And you can simulate all the crowd noise you want. It's just different. Um Auburn's top like five in the whole country in offense and defense right now. You know, what I said earlier about Florida playing those terrible defenses, it's gonna hurt them against Alabama this weekend because you're just not used to it and you can't simulate it. You can't simulate it in practice. You can't even put your starting defense over there and get anything close to the talent that you're going to see when you play Alabama. A little bit different for Auburn because I don't think Penn State is elite by any means. I think they're a long way from, from elite. I still think they're an average football team. This The environment is going to make them hopefully above average. But, um, you, you know, you, you've got a lot of inexperience for Auburn. It's just I can't see 
Auburn does want play one or Auburn does do one thing well, and that is play defense. And I don't think their defensive scheme has changed that much under Derek Mason as it did under Kevin Steele. It's an in-your-face defense. We're going to go man coverage. We're going to play zone in the red zone. Um, we're going to blitz like hell. We're going to come at you with a vicious defensive line attack. Uh, linebacker's going to be flying around. In order to beat us, you're going to have to throw the ball deep. Sean Clifford can't do it. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't care if he's at home. I don't care about noisy. Penn State can't score. Um, you saw what they did. Wisconsin had a pretty good defense. I I will compare Auburn's defense to Wisconsin's. No, or Penn State was shut out in the first half, made some good adjustments, and ended up scoring twice in the second half, I believe, or maybe three times. I can't remember the score of that game. Um, but I, I don't see it happening. Maybe they can feed off the crowd early and, and get up to it. Because like Lester said, I agree with that 100%. If you get up two scores on Auburn, and you make them become one-dimensional. Bo Nix can't do it, uh, especially on the road. He, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a mental midget and um, has not been good on the road for his first two starts. I don't see that changing, especially once you make him one-dimensional and don't let him control the game. Uh, but I don't see that happening. I, I see Auburn able to run the ball, maybe not at will um, on Penn State, but I, I see them being, being able to control the game. I don't see Penn State being able to get anything done on the ground or through the air. And, uh, you know, despite the whiteout, despite the hostile crowd, despite the, the struggles that Bo has had on the road, I look at Auburn winning this game 24-17 on the road. J-Law, what you got? Is Penn State distracted? I'm looking at articles right now. People are talking about James Franklin should be the first person that USC calls for their job opening. I don't care who you are. You're in the locker room. You're probably playing uh, maybe they're probably the most high-profile game they'll play this year if you're Penn State. You're playing an SEC team, SEC versus Big Ten matchup at home, and there's rumors floating around that USC's calling your coach or should call your coach, and they're talking about it a lot. I've looked at two or three articles already tonight about it. So a little bit of distraction for Penn State. Nobody's calling Brian Horson about the USC job. Um, I don't know, but I still like Penn State. Happy Valley, at night, wide out. They don't have to hit the big play. Oh, this Auburn's not going to have – they're not going to hit the big play very many times. There's going to be a lot of play action in this game. There's going to be a lot of underneath throws in this game. There's going to be a lot of run plays called in this game. It's going to be a 24-23 type of ball game. And I got Penn State 24, Auburn 23. Um, if this game was in Jordan Hare, I'd probably pick Auburn 31, Penn State 17. But right here in Happy Valley, I'll take Penn State by one. I think Auburn's better than Penn State, but the environment hurt Auburn. Yeah, I, I don't know why USC would call James Franklin. He hadn't been able to do anything at Penn State. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I see your point about the distractions. And, uh, you know, all, all the players read stuff like that. And so uh, that's a really good point. You know, this guy's trying to get him fired up for this game. And, you know, uh, to add to, to, to my point that I had, you know, I think this is – it's not going to be a blowout like Texas and Arkansas was, but I think that you'll see Auburn, even though their offensive line isn't one of the better ones in the SEC, the one thing they can do is run block. And I think they'll, you know, impose their will as the game goes along on Penn State, maybe in the third or fourth quarter start to pull away and dominate the line of scrimmage. Um, I think it's going to be a classic SEC Big Ten matchup. Um, take the under. Definitely think the under is like 53 and a half right now. I'm taking the under all day long. Um, but, uh, guys, that's all I got. appreciate y'all joining me. Lester, anything you want to say about Slade Bolden before we get out of here? Uh, no, I don't have enough time. He sucks. He's bad. He's bad. Play the young guys, Nick. Play Kool-Aid. Play JoJo Earl. Do it. Hey, do y'all have an un, do y'all have an unlucky number that you had growing up or whatever, like thirteen or something like that? I was yeah. always eighteen. Well, <laughs> well, Slade Bolden's is ten. That's his unlucky number because that dude is about to take his job and send him to Mercer, where he belongs. Hey, also Bill O'Brien is on this USC uh, hot board. Just Ooh. throwing that out there. Yeah, so, I can see. James it. Franklin number one though on Bleacher Report. Yeah, I, I look for JoJo Earl to. Do you hang on? Hey, quick question, Lester. Do you put JoJo Earl down there returning punts in the swamp? 
yep, sure do. You trust him? Percent. Hmm. After what Slade did against yeah. Mercer, sure. Mm-hmm. Why you trust? Why, why you trusting Slade? I don't know. Right. Why are you trusting I don't, I don't Slade? Know. I don't know. And, and, that's, and that's a he's good a, point. He's a, he's, you, you he's can't a trust white kid. Line. He's a white kid. Everybody thinks he's more responsible. He's yeah. gonna take care. Of, he's bringing his lunch pail every day. Works his ass off. Early Norris. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. He, he ran backwards and lost 12 yards on a punt return and got the ball at the five. You get out of here. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm down with it. Um, what about put two guys back there, 10 and one? The defensive one. That yeah, would be sweet. I like that. Yeah. JoJo Dude, cool. I would I would flip my chair over if that happened out of excitement. I'd be so happy. And the reason you do that is because you got protection. You know, if you have a guy break free or whatever – the guy who's not catching the ball can be right there to block. So you trust, you know, yourself to catch it more. You don't have, you don't have a guy just bearing down on you running 18 miles an hour. You've got a guy in front of him that's blocking. So. I, I think the LM coaching staff has enough confidence in their defense in this game that you take the risk of a young guy like Jojo Earl muffing a punt, losing it, doing something dumb. Um, and you feel like your offense can bail you out later and your defense can help you out right then. Uh, the, the upside to me, risk-reward, there is no risk with Slade, and there's also – there's very low risk with Slade. There's also no reward. Yeah, I think there's a slight bit of risk just because he's young. The reward is astronomical with what JoJo Earl could do returning a punt. Yeah. And- but how, how great would that be for that kid's confidence going forward in the season? You know what I mean? Like, How bad would it be for his confidence if he muffed two of them and they get the ball on the fifteen yard line? You know, we lose by ten points. No, if he drops uh, one, he puts one back there, one hundred percent. If he muffs the first one, you don't you don't put him back out there. No, but I don't know if I wouldn't just wait till the Southern Miss game and then just tell Slade that hey, it's your last chance. No, I wouldn't tell Slade that. I wouldn't tell Slade that, but yeah, I I mean. I don't care. I, I really don't. At this point, I'm just so tired of seeing 18. Um, it would be different, like y'all said, if he was Mr. Surehands and he caught everything. But we did see him muff one in the 8 day game. I know it's a spring game. The focus probably isn't there. But when you got 92,000 screaming at you, man, uh, I mean, all eyes are on you. Uh, you know, what kind of mental stage are you in? Are you going to be thinking about that? You're going to be focused on what you're doing. Then, you know, of course, the one at Mercer, he just lets it bounce and then tries to run backwards. And he's just, he has zero burst. He has zero speed. He's the slowest receiver we have, except for maybe Tyler Jones Bell, however you say his name. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing 10 back there and and in the slot. I'm about tired of seeing, uh, seeing 18 run routes because like J-Law said before the show started, he's got no separation. He can't get away from anybody. He's just he's just zero threat. Yeah, listen, if you've got to keep a running back and a tight end in for protection and you're running three-man routes, dude, he can't be one of them. He's not getting open. And, and, and somebody else can, and it's not truly his fault, but you're putting him in a situation where he's not going to get open because there's eight DBs on the field. I mean, eh. I don't know. I like him. I'm sure he's a great kid, but JoJo Earl is already better than him. Right. Corey Brooks is probably already better than him. Ajayi Hall is probably better than him. Yep. Uh, these young guys are going to have to play. I, I Honestly, call me crazy. I think if you let JoJo Earl start for the next four weeks, I think he is as good as John Metchie. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he already looks more explosive. And uh, I think Lester said – Lester, did you say he led the team in receptions this past weekend? Yeah, um, I believe he led the team in yards and receptions. I mean, granted, it wasn't much. But I still yeah, he had did. 230 yards, but I think he had 75 yards, eight catches, something like that. Yeah. There we go. And, and can Joe Jarrell help John Mechie get open? I mean, like, I just think there's the upside of Joe Jarrell being out there, and it's going to help the team a lot. Right. I, You know, over the course of the year and, you know, the past two weeks, you know, I've always said, you know, with – you know, certain people on the field, like, what are you going to do? Who are you going to stop? And when you got 18 on the field, well, damn sure you worry about that guy beating you. You know, when you got to protect, you know, leave six, seven guys to, you know, stay yeah. back and block, you ain't got to worry about that tight end beating you. You don't have to worry about the running back beating you. And when that happens, that allows the defense to key in on, you know, your Blazer and Williams or, you know, Mechie. Like, you know, and – Years past, you had three or four dudes that pick your poison. Who do you want to try to contain this game? And with this, with with and and how the lineups currently played out, you can kind of key in on your top guys. So there's there's shading 
they're high low in uh Mechie and and Williams. I mean they're yep. they're not they're not letting those guys get behind them and they're putting a guy in front of them because we're only running three man routes, not yep. having a lot of action out of the running back. I mean last year you covered Devontae, that's fine. We're gonna we got Billingsley who's gotta get on the field now. It, it playtime's over. Got to. Put him back out on the field. You had Najee that, you know, he's gonna catch the football. And dude, that's it. And and you had to cover Mechie. And that's and that's even after Waddle got hurt. Now, I mean, we're not blocking well enough to have any, you know, to run four route combos. So it's putting a lot of pre- extra pressure on Bryce. So wait, wait, wait. The offensive line not not great and he doesn't have a dump down either. It's just it's just been a weird first couple of weeks. But I think with nineteen back out there, that opens it up and hopefully the offensive line can get going. I think you're gonna learn a lot about Alabama and Auburn this weekend, but you know, what, 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 who do you think, in your opinion, J-Law, that we're going to learn more about? Do you think, you know, with Miami probably being a little bit overrated, or if not a lot overrated, than the national media thought, you know, Alabama maybe hasn't faced a true test yet. I don't think Florida has either, but we know Auburn definitely has not. So if Auburn goes up, goes up there and wins in Happy Valley, do you look at it, do you look at it as, you know, Auburn's a good football team, maybe they're better than we – than the experts projected, or do you think, well, you know, they haven't even prepared for the first two teams. This is all they've been looking forward to. This is basically their week one. How, how, how do you approach it? I by no means think Penn State is a phenomenal football team. I, like I said, if, if this was in Jordan-Hare at 6 o'clock at night, I'd pick Auburn by two touchdowns, 100% be a two-touchdown game, and Auburn would walk away with a win. I'm not sure how much you're going to know about either one of these teams after this week. We all kind of thought Emory Jones might be a little bit better because they did use him last year. And I know it was in a running setting a lot of times that you kind of feel like he's the guy in waiting. Well, he's going to get on, he's going to get his seat taken by a freshman. Auburn's going to go through Happy Valley. James Franklin really hasn't done anything. Last year, one in five, two and four, or something that he did in the, in the Big Ten. So, I mean, they're coming off a bad year. They beat Wisconsin in Camp Randall. I think that says a lot. So, I mean, I, if you're gonna, if Auburn wins or loses, I think you learn a little more about Auburn this week um, than you will about Alabama. Because, you know, if Alabama goes out and blows the doors off Florida, you already know what people are going to be saying on Sunday. Yeah. Alabama still hasn't played anybody. Miami's horrible. Florida doesn't have a quarterback. It doesn't matter if it was – I mean, it's just how it is when Alabama beats somebody. And also the Miami thing. You remember that stat a few years ago? It's like teams the week after they play Alabama, their winning percentage was only like 575 or something like that. Like teams don't go out and win after playing Alabama at a high rate. So take what you want to out of that Miami game. It wasn't impressive against Appalachian State, but I, I do think that you'll learn more about Auburn, good or bad, this weekend. All right, boys. I appreciate y'all being here with me, hopping on. And, uh, you know, episode 42, Gunburners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell, Roll Tide. We'll talk to you guys next week.